You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. In the past 10 years, the world of hearing healthcare technology has experienced massive changes. New hearing aids include biometric feedback, artificial intelligence, machine learning, fall detection, Bluetooth connectivity, the list goes on. We're gradually seeing a convergence between hearables, another name for wireless smart earbuds that are typically inexpensive, and advanced hearing aid technology. How can patients, clinicians, and the general population utilize this technology and the new audio internet to improve their quality of life? Today's guest is going to help answer that question. Dave Kemp is the Director of Business Development and Marketing at Oak Tree Products and the founder and editor of Future Ear. In 2017, Dave launched his blog, FutureEar.co, where he writes about what's happening at the intersection of voice technology, wearables, and and hearing healthcare. In 2019, Dave started the Future Ear Radio podcast, where he and his guests discuss topics pertaining to what he's covering through his blog. He's been published in the Harvard Business Review, co-authored the book Voice Technology and Healthcare, writes frequently for the prominent voice technology website, voicebot.ai, and has been featured on NPR's Marketplace. He's dynamic, he's super engaging, he knows a lot about this stuff, so we're so glad to have Dave Kemp with us today. Thanks so much for coming on, Dave. Thank you, Dakota. Wow, what an introduction there. I hope I can live up to the hype. I think you're more than more than enough going to live up to the hype. I've this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for like I don't even know how long we've been talking about this, like a month or two. <laughs> I'm so pumped to talk about this. This is one of those things where like I, I it hasn't intersected enough into my clinical life yet, but I can just see it. You know, it's like right there on the horizon. It's like right through the doorway. I'm going to start having these things be much more a part of my daily practice. So I'm excited to hear how audiologists, you know, just clinicians in general can really embrace some of these things. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. When I first started writing Future Ear, when I started the whole blog, it was definitely like kind of like skating to where I think the puck's going to be because back then it was like you could kind of see the writing on the wall, but I wasn't even totally sure. Like one of the big pillars that I've been writing about from the start has been voice technology. And so I'm sure we'll talk all about that today, but I wasn't even fully sure, like, will this thing kind of manifest? And and I was just using a lot of the market research data that I was kind of seeing in, you know, on the, on the periphery and um, using that as my kind of like my basis of, of what this thesis was that I was ultimately driving toward. And sure. really all that was, was basically like, okay, you know, 2013, 2014, we start to see these Bluetooth connected hearing aids. And I thought like, that's a, that's a really profound development because what that essentially does is like that extends the smartphone to the ear. And, you know, like you could argue that like, you know, before with some of the different like wired headphones, if we're talking about the consumer side, it's just not really the same thing. Like when we went totally Bluetooth and we went wireless and obviously hearing aids, you know, it's like, it was analog and then it was Bluetooth enabled. And, um, you, you know, so there was just a lot of, I thought 
room for interesting applications to start to kind of be built around this notion of like internet connected hearing aids. Yeah. Before we get into, because I know like there's different manufacturers have different approaches to how they want to incorporate this kind of connectivity and internet ability. I know Otacon has their like, if this, then that connectivity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's Starkey's got their AI. Like there's a lot of stuff that are, that's coming into that world. Can we backpedal to just break down like uh, where hearables first came into the picture here? Like, how would you define a hearable to someone who's never heard of that before? At this point, does it even matter? Like, can we just think of hearing aids and hearables as the same thing? Are they still, (laughs) you know, disconnected? Like, how would you break down that difference? No, that's such a good question. And uh, to be perfectly frank, like, I'm not a huge fan of the term hearable just because it's, it's very jargony and it's like not something that an everyday person uses. So I've kind of almost gotten into the habit of, it's kind of like, you know, Kleenex became the catch-all for yeah. tissues. <laughs> AirPods is kind of the catch-all for, for like true wireless in-ear devices. And that's not to limit it or anything like that. But if you, you know, you kind of think of what it is, it's like AirPods really are the embodiment of them. But they came before AirPods and and really like the big incubation period was like 2014, 2015. You had these companies that came out of Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So these crowdfunded products, the three that always come to mind for me were Braggy, Doppler, Nuhera. Uh, Braggy has since gotten out of hardware. They've pivoted to more of like mesh network like internet of things kind of uh, yeah. that connective tissue layer, if you will. I remember their little, uh, it was the dash, right? I, I, I feel like I might've even contributed to that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember fully, but part of me, I just have such a clear image of the braggy dash. Yes. It was really cool. I mean, like the vision that these companies were laying out were so inspiring Doppler, you know, so they had the Doppler labs and uh, you know, so their first one was called the here one. And I remember reading this Wired article about like the here two that they were going to be releasing and crazy types of functionality and features that they were trying to build, like being able to isolate specific sounds using machine learning, like an ambulance or a baby crying or something like that, where you could basically register to your device. I want, anytime you hear that, mute it, you know, mute it before I even hear it. Wow. Kind of yeah. thing. So, so futuristic kind of techie things, but the problem is, you know, with, with those two in particular, it's like the old adage, hardware is hard. And they were, I think they like, you know, they were well-funded, but they just ultimately ran out of cash, went bankrupt. At least that's what happened to Doppler. I know Braggy pivoted, um, but Nuhera, on the other hand, was actually really successful. They've, they kind of identified early on our product market fit is going to be hearing health. So they, you know, they took that approach from the start. And so those three companies, you know, kind of going back to like 2015-ish, it was a very startup-y kind of scene. And so they were setting the stage, I think, for like where this was ultimately going. And then, you know, kind of in steps Apple with AirPods. And I think like I always talk about AirPods because they really were the seminal moment of when everything changed. Because what happened was you went from initially they were just completely ridiculed, completely mocked, like people like those things look like little toothbrushes sticking out of your ears. Yeah. And so... What happened though, in true Apple fashion, they sort of defied the initial critiques and like we've seen what's happened since they've gone on to basically reach meme status, right? Like they are, mm-hmm. they're, they are in the cultural zeitgeist and there are now like 
upwards of 150 million is pairs in circulation today. Um, and that number is just going up and up and up. I mean, I follow Apple really closely. I follow all the big tech companies really closely in terms of like each quarterly earnings report, getting a really good finger on the pulse of like, where is the revenue actually coming from, from these companies? And the really interesting thing with Apple is that like the drivers of the growth are around services and around wearables. And so the Apple Watch, AirPods, um, those are really kind of the core of, of this center of growth. And so like it comprises a Fortune 100 company in and of itself. Wow. Um, the, the wearables division does. And so it's like you have this trillion dollar size company that's come in. They've introduced this seamless type of device that can basically you know, instantly pair you to your phone. You know, it's just like that magical experience that so many people have kind of come become accustomed to. And, and, and you're now seeing like all of the companies that have followed them since are sort of realizing, okay, this is table stakes. Um, but that's like how I always think about the quote unquote curable side, which is really the the consumer side. But if you really want to like think about what is a hearable, well, then you have to include hearing aids because hearing aids by definition were the first hearable. If a hearable is, you know, a body worn computer that you wear in your ear, well, then that's a hearing aid. And this is kind of always where I've had a little bit of a qualm with the, with the term hearable is that I think it, it kind of confuses things a little bit when in reality, what we're really seeing is everything's becoming a hearable, everything's becoming computerized. And so where we're at now here in, you know, March of 2021, you have hearing aid manufacturers that are introducing earbuds that function like hearing aids. And this is kind of, I think at the root of like, what's so exciting that's happening right now is what I've always referred to as like the hearing aid hearable convergence, again, using hearable in that context as kind of the consumer side of the market is that consumer products are going to basically start to function like, not like full on medical grade, but it will have a semblance of that. Like there will be certain features that kind of become standardized. And and this is really what we've seen over the last few years. And then in conjunction, you're going to have the medical side start to take pieces of the consumer side, whether it be the aesthetics of the way the device looks, or really kind of lean into some of the different functionality that is being kind of like spearheaded on the consumer side. So you're really, you're really seeing just this blending and the blurring of the lines between all the different things that we wear in our ears. Sure. I'm curious where you see, I guess, I don't know if somebody's going to win out in that competition, but I think when we think of the hearing aid end, that microchip is responsible for like a much more intense version of digital signal processing when it comes to audio and so that it can fit a wide variety of hearing losses. It needs a lot of power and still have a small design. I know Apple, I know um, with the AirPods Pro and I think even the the new, are they the Pro Max or whatever they're calling yeah. the newest one, they have, a, they have a hearing loss kind of compensation feature that I played around with and it's not extremely powerful. It's not really enough to compensate for much more beyond like, of a mild hearing loss. Mm-hmm. But I do think, so hearing aids are obviously going to take a lot from hearables, if we want to call them that, right? Whether it's, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to know what, what your thoughts are on what hearing aids should and shouldn't be taking from that side, you know, to improve upon themselves. And then in the other direction, are the hearables going to take a lesson from the hearing aids when it comes to digital signal processing to 
to even try because it does seem like Apple is trying to tap in a little bit into this hearing loss world or are they going to realize that it's a little bit more of a bite that's not worth chewing? Yeah, no, there's a lot a lot of different ways to think through this because I think it's probably one of the most fundamentally important considerations for any healthcare professional, any hearing healthcare professional or people like myself where I'm just in the industry. Um, and so I think about this all the time and I think that what it's kind of kind of boiled down to, like, you know, when you really think about like who has been treated today, right? Like a, as of 2021, if you had to really kind of break down, like who, what, what, what degrees of hearing loss have been catered to traditionally? And I think that most people would say with a straight face, you know, it's kind of like that moderate to severe to profound end. The way I yeah. always think about it is like, if you have a, $3,000 problem, $5,000 problem, however much that pair of hearing aids is, is it a perceived problem that sort of matches that price point? And sure. this is where I think the problem has been is that you constantly hear people cite there's a seven-year gap between you know when they recognize they have the hearing loss and when they actually go and treat it. I've now heard that number might even be 10. But the problem is, is that you get a lot of people that you know, this is no news to most of the people that are listening here is like, there's a lot of different excuses that you kind of like when you're sitting up at the plate, ready to be like, all right, do I actually want to treat this? I've recognized I've had it. The problem is we've given people a hundred different excuses as to why they'll say no, starting with the price point down to the negative stigma that's associated with it. And that's where I think that the hearable side actually is like, really, really encouraging is because it sort of combats both of those two major hindrances of adoption by being a lot more cost effective and by, you know, not even necessarily being cosmetically appealing. The other thing that I think is like really worth pointing out about AirPods is it's kind of normalized that behavior of wearing things in and around your ears for extended periods of time. Like that's a really big deal when you really think about like, 2017 onwards, what have been things that you could distinctly point to and say, from a consumer behavior standpoint, from a tech consumer behavior standpoint, what's changed? One of the most stark things is that people are now wearing things in their ears for extended periods of time. Like I would say definitively, that's one of the biggest changes from a few years ago. And so what does that mean? Well, that means that like you, if you were having this hesitancy of wearing hearing aids because you didn't want to stick out and you felt the stigma, you know, before you even, you know, you were basically preemptively like stigmatizing yourself. Now we're moving toward a future where, you know, with these Signia active devices, and I think we're going to see these from all the hearing aid manufacturers, is it's going to be really hard to even identify what exactly is that person wearing in their ears and why are they wearing those? Frankly, we shouldn't care. I mean, I can't wait to the point to where it's just like glasses where you don't know yeah. like, are those prescriptive or those just designer. I want the same thing to happen with in-the-ear devices. And honestly, I think that's like the biggest cause of optimism for what's happening on the consumer side as it relates to the, the more medical side is that I really do think that you're going to get a massive intake of people that are suddenly becoming accustomed to this idea of like, well, I'm already wearing those things in my ears because I'm on Clubhouse or I'm on you know, Twitter spaces or I'm podcasting, listening to music. 
these are relatively new things, especially the social audio networks. Like there, there's going to be so much more that gets built out on top of this. And so what that I think means is like as a secondary benefit, you can be walking around with like that enhanced conversational enhancement or whatever that might be. Yeah. So that's to answer, I'll pull up here and just say like, that's to answer one part of the question is that's part of what I think hearables in the consumer side of the market is ultimately going to lead to is I think that it's going to drive adoption later because you're going to get a whole lot more people early in on the funnel with like these introductory features. Yeah, I think I think you're so right about that. And when when things like AirPods were first coming to market, I remember some of the jokes in the audiology world being if I can't get my patient to wear this tiny invisible like Rick hearing aid, there's no way people are going to walk around with these big white things right. dangling out of their ear. And in fact, the truth was the exact opposite. Now I have people coming in who see a hearing aid and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't even see that. Like I can, people see my AirPods more than they'd see this. And I'm like, exactly. So that's, it's, I totally agree that we're seeing this big shift in the stigma. Thanks to hearables, just in having a device in your ear most of the time. Yeah. You're so right about that being qu quite the case. <laughs> I'm curious of a lot of the features that we're seeing hearing aids starting to adopt from the hearable market, like uh, biometric monitoring, some of the language. I remember when Starkey announced the like in real time language translation right. in your ear. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get some of these and go to like China. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like the use cases get crazy. So I'm curious what you've seen come out of the hearables market that's either being adopted by hearing aids or that you hope will soon be adopted. Well, okay. So a few things here. First of all, I think that you know, going back to your question earlier about the medical side of the market, I think it's really important to mention a few things here. First of all, I've, I've heard a lot of people say this before, like, is Apple going to just straight up create a hearing aid? And the fact of the matter is probably not because first of all, it's, it's a large problem, but it's like not at the scale that Apple typically operates. If you look at their products, they're all mass market pro products, right? So they're not going to probably outright design a device that looks like a hearing aid. Then the next question would be like, are AirPods going to function like hearing aids? And again, I just don't know if that's really the direction Apple wants to go. I think that they're way more inclined to, like this is kind of what they're doing with the Apple Watch too. If you look at that ecosystem, you'll see that there are, you know, like from a biometric standpoint, yes, I have an Apple Watch myself and I can get kind of a baseline of the different bio readings that come from that step count, you know, cardiovascular, like just some things like that. But that's not really like the, 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 it's, it's more of kind of this like average, you know, like it does everything well, but it doesn't, it's like a, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And then what you have layered on top of that are these companies like Whoop, Aura Ring, Levels, you know, all these different highly specialized wearable companies that are attacking like one specific thing. Like Whoop's whole thing is like high, training for you know high-end athletes and and so they've like built an app and and all the readings are like just way more robust and all of that and so where i'm going with that is like i kind of see apple doing the same thing with airpods where what they'll do is they'll basically like the headphone accommodations feature will probably be something that they build upon and there will be like a greater degree of like the customization ability of that but it's never going to go full-blown like this is a hearing aid. And again, the reason I think that is because I think they're more suited 
to cater to as many people as possible. And I think that just like an introductory feature like that sort of gets them to where they're trying to be. I don't think that they're trying to necessarily specialize in a particular feature set. I think what they're trying to do is create a multitude of feature sets so that if you're an AirPods user, chances are that two to three of those will really resonate with you. And that's going to give them more flexibility to go and like hone in on active noise cancellation, spatial audio, you know, all these other things, not to mention if they get into biometrics in the actual in-ear device. So I think that like ultimately I view Apple more as being less of a specialist and more of a generalist with their products. And so I just think that there is, you know, class two medical device, if it goes to a certain degree, right? Like, yes, they could probably skirt these things, but my gut tells me that like, they're going to be massively impactful on that mild to moderate side. And really what that means is it's going to be people that like for the first time ever are going to have like this conversational enhancement in their transparency mode of their AirPods pro. And like the cause for, I think the bull case there for like hearing health is you know, if if you position yourself in your ser- suite of services, I think that as a professional, you can use that as like almost lead generation to entice people to be like, are you enjoying your AirPods Pro with the transparency mode? Would you like to see that on steroids? And in, in position, <laughs> you know, like yeah. one of these more specialized products like an IQ Buds or something like that. So that's kind of the way I'll, I'm seeing the market, I, I personally think it's going to bifurcate that way, is that you'll always kind of have this moderate to profound, severe side of the market that will be very medical, and it will be treated by the professionals. And I, I think what we're going to see in the next like three years is going to be the consumer mild to moderate side is going to open up in a massive way, just for two anecdotal uh, tidbits that I'll throw in here. Qualcomm you know, the chip manufacturer, they recently had their state of play report. And in the state of play report, so they issue this every single year, and it has all kinds of different audio trends. And in there, an eye-popping stat as it relates to our industry, 40% of survey respondents indicated that they want some type of conversational enhancement. This is up from like 20% the year prior. That's interesting. Why is that? Well, AirPod Pros with the headphone accommodations is just in that many more hands now. So I do kind of think that, again, this might be an AirPods-related thing where more and more people are being exposed to it, word-of-mouth marketing, and just all of that sort of the buzz that that's generating. And I think more people are kind of just becoming attuned to this idea of like, I didn't know that existed, and now I hear that you can do that. And so that was 40%. I recently had on my podcast uh, Luke Pearson from Future Source, which is a marketing uh, research company out of the UK. And they had a similar survey that they did, and they found that that number was actually around 60%. Wow. So let's just kind of like meet in the middle and say about half of people. And again, these are like the your, your stereotypical AirPods user, you know, your true wireless earphone type person. Um, this is one of the major features that they're citing second behind only active noise cancellation. And so like, that's kind of like, I think again, we all need to really recognize that is like, this is a really, really good thing because this just means that more and more people are actually wanting to take that step in doing something. It might not mean buying a hearing aid outright, but we kind of know that like, that's on the tail end of the journey, getting them started with something, I think creates a 
huge opportunity. And this is, I think, going to be the thing that like the industry is going to really have to grapple with is if the medical side of the market, the moderate to severe side, doesn't really get cannibalized in any way, and we're really just talking about a second market, a kind of a growth market, where does the provider fit in? And I don't really know the answer to that. I don't know if it's going to be a self-test, do-it-yourself, you know, uh, or just mass market, you know, consumer like AirPod type products, or is there going to be some room for a professional to get really creative here to insert themselves into that whole new dynamic in this whole new side of the market that I think we've barely tapped into as an industry? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the hot conversation in the audiology world right now. It's like, are you either going to catch on? Are you going to pivot? Are you going to, because these devices, I mean, we're still waiting on the federal definition of an over-the-counter hearing aid <laughs> and, and what that's going to entail and how that's going to change everything. But I do think the current understanding from at least the people who are a little bit more progressive in how they understand, you know, the role of the audiologist in future healthcare is it's either that you're going to pivot and find a way to reach these people who, like you said, 50% of these people out here are looking for some kind of communication enhancement. Are they going to go to you, the communication, you know, hearing loss expert for it? Or are they going to try to figure it out on their own? Are they going to go to their primary care? Like who, who's going to be the person who steps up? And so I know that- Or, that's- or are they going to go to Best Buy? You oh know? yeah, yeah. You know, and and this is, I think, this is something that like we as an industry and and really more so the providers and the professionals are going to have to really think through hard. Is there really might not be much of a play for you in that space, and that might be okay. Um, it might just be that like you're sort of there for when they're ready to see you, and that maybe you know like more people are going to come and see you earlier in their journey because they're going to kind of graduate into more sophisticated levels of treatment. But I think that if you, if, if you hear that and you say, well, I, that's not satisfactory. I want to make sure that I'm involved at the beginning. Then I think that's where the whole conversation around bundling, unbundling itemization, like you have to basically completely unravel yourself from the widget. You cannot Mm -hmm. be tied to the device sale when we're talking about commodity devices, because it, it goes from a premium device where you're making a, you know, a big margin. And, and obviously that margin's tied to the, the, the scope of care that's associated with that. But if we're talking about a consumer product, you have to understand it. it's a totally different type of sale. And, and so like, it's like a cost equation. And I think that that's going to be a really interesting thing to, to kind of watch unfold is I do, I personally think that I have a lot of confidence in the I think there's a lot of really smart people in this industry that are going to probably find a way to cement themselves like in a really great position to be a participant of that market. But I don't think that you can just assume like, oh, I'm a professional and I'm an expert in the ear and all of the things that relate to the ear. And then therefore I'm obligated to like have this, you know, position in the market. So that's where the rubber is going to meet the road, in my opinion, as it relates to the more mild to moderate market. Yeah. And be on the, that's, that's an episode I'm currently formulating with a, with an audiologist who focuses a lot on, uh, you know, scope of practice and unbundling and this idea of, you know, breaking away, just how redefining who the audiologist is in this new world of, you know, hearing technology. So that's going to be one to look out for. Can't wait. Kind of pivoting a little bit, because I know you, you've, you've done your research when it comes to voice technology integration into these things. I'm curious if you could speak to kind of like how we've seen voice technology break into the hearing aid world, where you see it going, what kind of your thoughts are on that? 
Yeah, so this is, like I said at the very top of the uh, episode, uh, was one of the drivers of starting Future Ear was like I felt really, really passionate about two major sets of use cases. The first was voice technology. The second was biometrics. Um, happy to speak because I know you asked earlier about biometrics, so I can talk about that here in a little bit. But with voice technology, the whole thing like that I, my, my epiphany was, you know, okay, like let's kind of assemble some of the Legos that are kind of uh, sorting, uh, sort of like manifesting here uh, before our eyes. So you have, you know, this Bluetooth connected hearing aid um, or, you know, consumer true double or uh, true wireless set of earbuds. Um, so you have this thing that's, you know, like able to feed you whatever information you want. And then in tandem, like I would say that along with the rise of AirPods, uh, one of the other huge smash consumer hits that was kind of a, just came out of left field were smart speakers. And so when I saw like, I, I started to like really kind of dig into this space, the whole voice tech space. And I got, I fell down a rabbit hole and I like ended up actually meeting a, a ton of people in that industry. I've been to a number of different trade shows. So it's kind of become like a second, you know, almost like peripheral field for me of just really kind of immersing myself in. And what I've learned is that the best way to think about it is it's kind of a progression. That's the way that I see this ultimately unfolding is initially it's going to start as an interface. Okay. And so what I mean by that is like, it's called the voice user interface, VUI. And if you think about like, what's our current interface? Well, we're kind of operating off of two. Like first we're operating off of mobile. Um, everybody here that's listening to this is probably listening through their smartphone, you know, and one of the apps on it. Um, I'm recording this podcast with you through a laptop, right? And so like th those were kind of the two like legacy modalities. Um, and every 12 to 15 years or so, we kind of, a new one emerges. And so I think that voice is a really interesting one as it relates specifically to hearing health. Because again, if we're kind of looking at these as like little building blocks, you have this in-the-ear device. And I thought, well, what if that played home to like this voice user interface? And like, that's where my mind was at when Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, all of those things kind of started to debut and then like have just increasingly gotten better and better. And so I actually just presented on this at the Future of Hearing Healthcare um, virtual webinar. I did it with Kevin Seitz Paquette, who's uh, the FONAC uh, director of their research center. And um, basically what we talked about was like, you know, here's kind of how people are using it today. And really what it is, is it's this interface where in the same way that when you want to go into your phone and you're again, interfacing with your technology, what you're really doing is you're picking up a little piece of glass and you're tap, touch, and swiping through apps to more or less do the job that you're kind of trying to get done. And so think about every single thing that you do with your phone and then try to put yourself in the shoes of, can I do this all with my voice? And this is really kind of at the heart of the voice user interface. It's this idea of using the voice assistant, so again, Google or Alexa or Siri, to mediate on your behalf all of those same interactions that you would have previously had with your phone. Now you're just doing it with your hearing aids that are tethered to your smartphone. So for example, a buddy of mine wears Phonak Marvels, and he constantly is using Google Assistant to do pretty much everything that he had traditionally done 
with his phone. So he's like sending emails, he's sending texts, he's calling up the next podcast that he wants to play. Um, he's ordering an Uber, you know, he's po- calling up directions. I mean, really seriously, when you watch the way that he's using his hearing aids, you sort of watch it and you're like, man, this is the future, isn't it? Like this is really representative wow, of yeah. the future. And the reason why I think this is so exciting is like, not only is it like kind of techie and I'm a techie guy, but you think about the patient demographic, right? And and you think about like older adults really have a lot of limitations as it relates to this. It just becomes more and more of a, of a hindrance to them. I mean, if you have any dexterity issues, you might have trouble typing. If you have vision issues, we're talking about typing on a little small screen. Yeah. So what's exciting about this is if you look at some of the, there's like a lot of NPR data that's been released around smart speakers and it breaks down like the demographics. And what is shocking is that I've never seen market data that shows that the early adopters are the older adults. About 40% of the early adopters of smart speakers are adults aged. I think it's I think it's 55 and older. So it's not like full on older adults, but it's, you know, it's kind of like boomers and above. And so this, I think is just like a really telling thing. And so as I digged a little bit deeper into this and I've familiarized myself with this space, how, you know, assistive living facilities, for example, are embedding smart speakers in their residents' homes. I've asked, you know, the director of of one such facility that owns, there's, uh, they have over, I think it's like 10,000 residents now have smart speakers in their living facilities. And I'm asking them like, what are the things that they're loving about it? The common denominator, I feel enabled. I feel like I can, yeah. you know, and, and this is the thing that I like, I think is really not mentioned enough is if you've not been a native, like I'm 31. So I was kind of grew up with the internet to a degree, not as much as like Gen Z, but you know, like I was kind of trained on like how to use your technology and all this stuff. So it's second nature to me. I don't even think about it, but like even asking an older adult, like, do you know how to use your apps? That can be a huge problem. And so when we're talking about like these hearing aids of tomorrow that are highly technical, you're going to have to have some element to them that allows for there to be as low amount of user error as possible. And that's where the voice assistants are getting really, really interesting because so much of where this is going is built around advancements in natural language processing. So like the accuracy rate in which they can detect the way that you're speaking. But the next progression is going to be all around contextual awareness. So where does that lead? Well, if you have things like, you know, it starts to learn from you and it learns your user behavior you know, you like to listen to music in the morning, it's going to prompt you, it's going to give you suggestions. Maybe it goes so far to say, it's time to take your medicine, right? Or it's Dave's birthday this week, you know, and on Wednesday, would you like to call him? So when you get to that point, and that's where this is all sort of trending toward, I would say that we're probably a good two, three years out from that. A lot of what's being done right now is the infrastructure, the NLP, making sure that it's not brittle, being dynamic, so you don't break it. But like, it's this idea of a contextual assistant. And that to me is like, wow, that could be a game changer for the way that people really perceive hearing aids. Because then what happens, and the same things for biometrics too, is you start to just change the whole perception of why people are buying these things. Yes, it's an amplification device. That might be the primary reason people are buying it. 
But those secondary use cases, I think are going to just become more and more compelling as time goes on. And I think this one in particular caters really, really nicely to the patient demographic. Yeah, I, I have the perfect example for that. My my mother-in-law has so fully embraced voice to text <laughs> yes. that in our daily conversations, she'll say question mark or exclamation point. <laughs> yes. Like just today, we we have a we use an app called Marco Polo where we can send you know mm-hmm. quick video messages. And she said, "Oh, I love seeing that today!" Exclamation point, and it's just a it's a yes. live video. <laughs> so I definitely see. I honestly, I'd never considered that. I've always felt I've heard people talk about this idea of you know, oh, we're we're eventually we're going to reach a point where we can use basically. Uh, voice command for everything, you know, and the example you shared of your friend who can navigate his apps and things. And I'm like, I just can't imagine that's more efficient than my thumbs tap, tap, tapping through. Mm -hmm. But even if I never adopt it, if there's a generation that grows up with that as the option for efficiency to be hands-free, and if there's a generation older than me who can't adopt that, then it's the perfect solution for those people. And I think that's a really, that's a really great example of that. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, like, if you look at the actual adoption in the demographic breakdown, the two biggest cohorts that are adopting it, it's a barbell. On one end, older adults. On the other end, really little kids. And what's the common denominator? They both, like, by and large, struggle using a phone. Because, like, kids, like, you might not even be able to read yet, but you can still communicate with Alexa. Like, you can have Alexa play, you know, like what's the song like uh baby shark i've heard that a billion <laughs> times at my nieces so it's like you know it's like that but i think that what's really important to consider here is it does not have to be an all or nothing thing and i think like if you have a patient literally go out look at your waiting room are people text voice texting you know what i mean and start to like familiarize yourself with okay if i fit phone accurate needs by onocon Starkey, whatever it might be, how, what's the best way with an iPhone or with an Android phone to access that capability? Like, is it actually that seamless to where you can call it up through one tap or through a touch or like open a text message, send a text message to this person? You're going to have to do a little bit of homework, but I think that this is like one feature, one thing like that could be the game changer for somebody where they go from kind of being on the fence to like, well, if it's a much easier way for me to text, then I really like, I'm that much more sold on these things. And so I think that like, just realizing that yes, maybe in time you'll be able to do everything with a voice assistant in the voice user interface. It doesn't necessarily mean that like, you have to just kind of sit on your hands and wait. You can start to kind of think about in today's terms, like, and there are definitely some low hanging pieces of fruit here. Um, what are those things? Like, are there short, easy to use applications that people would do on a regular basis that they would find a lot of value in? Yeah. And it's such an easy way to start to incorporate that into practice too. I think that's, those are, that's, that's a really, really cool insight. I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. I'm curious, do you think that the hearing aid manufacturers are more likely, I mean, I feel like it takes a lot of research and development to come up with these voice assistants. Um, do you think that it's going to be like each manufacturer has created their own voice assistant or do you think it's more likely that they'll just use the phone as the base, you know, to do a lot of the processing here and then it'll be, you know, whatever your phone's assistant is? Well, I think it will probably be phases. Um, initially like Starkey's Thrive app, for example, they have a Thrive assistant. And so 
what that really means is it's like a, it can be used offline for a handful of things, meaning it can be used without being tethered to the cloud for like, what, uh, what's my battery level? What f- setting am I on? So like a handful of hearing aid specific questions. But if you say like, what's the weather? If you ask these general queries, what it does is it sends it to the cloud and then it actually does like a handshake with Google Assistant. And then you actually get fed the answer through Google Assistant, but it's all done mm. through the Thrive, quote unquote, the Thrive Assistant. And I kind of think that's the direction that the industry will probably broadly move initially will be like, they'll all have the ability to access a voice assistant. They might have this facade that is like, this is the Starkey assistant. This is the Phonak assistant. And really what that will mean is it's it's their own assistant for a few different things, but by and large, it will be like a white label exchange with Google Assistant, Alexa, whatever that might be. So that's my gut, but I could be totally wrong. I mean, it, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody out there is thinking, and 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 you know, even if we meet in the middle and it and I'm half wrong, what that might mean is that the white label, the the you know, the Starkey assistant, they might really build out and allow for lots and lots of different kinds of functionality. I'm just not entirely sure what that would be. So we'll have to kind of watch that unfold. But I do think that they will all make it so that voice, the voice user interface in like the master assistants, what I call them, like Alexa and Google and Siri, mm-hmm. I think those will be highly conducive to like your hearing aid. I would imagine that in the next few years, all of them will be able to at least have a touch, like a button that would access it or like a wake word, like, you know, Hey Alexa. And then it will be, or maybe it will be like, Hey phone act, you know, so yeah. it could work like that too. I think, yeah, that's cool. I, I, I definitely see where you're going with that. I think that's, that looks like the future to me. That makes the most sense <laughs> of, of all the, of all the possibilities. Yeah. And to your point of older adults and, and really little kids, my son is 18 months old and he already knows the word Google because <laughs> we always have something playing in the living room. And so he'll say Google, but he doesn't yeah. have anything. He doesn't have okay. And he doesn't have, you know, the name he, he, he tries to say Moana, but he's not really close. So it's just him yelling Google until we finally <laughs> do it for him. But he's not far off, right? He's only yeah. a few months away from saying, okay, Google Moana. And he I gets know. what he's after there. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's happening. I mean, you know, that's, yeah. And, and kind of to your point, like you're going to have a generation of kids that are going to grow up with these things. And what will that look like as they kind of grow up and, you know, are, are they going to carry that over? You know, there's just so much that's uncertain about like where things ultimately will go. You know, a lot of people think like AR and VR are going to just be these dominant things. I'm not entirely sure what that's going to all look like, but fact of the matter is you have a two-year-old or an 18-month-year-old that's like already kind of being conditioned on how to operate with these things, which I think is pretty fascinating when you think about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Speaking to some of the some of the audio internet, I think, as it's called sometimes, are there any apps like for a smartphone that would be valuable for a patient with hearing loss that you've come across that professionals should keep in mind, like if they want to keep a list of helpful apps for this situation or that situation? I guess the audio internet is more things like how we receive content and it's all very much audio based. But I'm assuming like when I think of my patients who uh, have a cochlear implant and even my patients with hearing aids too, we go through this oral rehabilitation process where we're kind of relearning how to listen to things. And so I'm a huge proponent of audiobooks, mm-hmm. um, watching a lot of video content. There's a lot of great oral rehabilitative content like apps out there that are free. So I'm curious where you see those kind of worlds colliding and if you have any recommendations for apps. This is where I see there being one of the biggest opportunities for professionals 
by and large is like like the way that I always sort of think about the 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 evolution of the the professional is like as the market becomes more complex with different solutions, whether it be hardware solutions, but increasingly software-based solutions, apps, subscriptions, those kinds of things, what's going to happen, I think, is you're going to be left with a lot of people that don't even know where to start. And I know that you just had a conversation with Lindsay Cockburn. I was doing like some research, listening to your podcast. And like, that was a master course of what I think any professional should be thinking about today is like, what kind of information can you put out there? Personal building, personal brand building, you know, creating information for not only your patients, but patients by and large. And I think that like going a step beyond that, I, I really do think this is going to be kind of at the heart of where a lot of the value is going to lie for professionals, particularly if they want to get into the mild to moderate market is being an expert. You know, I saw this quote, I always quote this, but it was this quote in the hearing review. And it was like, Professionals lamenting the dwindling sale price of hearing aids must also recognize the increasing value of their provision of knowledgeable expertise. Wow. I nailed that right there, by the way. I like to <laughs> nailed it. But but I think like that's so spot on because yes, there probably will be a commoditization to a degree of device sales. And what does that mean? Well, the market's probably growing. And if the market's growing, therefore there is an increasing amount of demand for expertise. And like, this is where I think professionals have such a huge advantage. No big box company, no Costco out there is going to be going above and beyond their best practices, like whatever the, and they have actually very good best practices in a Costco. So this isn't to disparage anybody that works in there, but I'm just saying that like, that's going to be one of the biggest areas of opportunity is big box retailers aren't going to go the extra mile to really sit down and talk through like what options exist. Online sellers probably not going to go above and beyond. So I think that by being able to sit down, and this is where I think you'll want to make sure that you're properly billing for your time and saying, all right, we're going to do a giant assessment, You know, starting with a battery of tests, best practices all the way through and through. And what's going to happen is along the way, and, and this, this isn't as if this isn't already what's going on. I'm just saying, I think this is just going to happen. You know, it's going to become amplified over the next few years is like, okay, this is the type of loss that you have. Here are my recommendations for you. You know, I would have your primary everyday device. If you warrant something like that, you know, here's your hearing aid options, or maybe it's a step down and like, here's some of the situational type devices, you know, here's some really great apps that you might get a lot out of, you know, here's chattable apps. That's a really good one. I love it when I, you know, have instances where I'm at a loud restaurant, a noisy pub, you know, whatever that might be, pull up your iPhone. If they have an iPhone in there and be like, have you ever seen how to do a triple tap on the back of the iPhone in order to pull up an app? Oh, I've never seen that before. Okay. You know, boom, boom, boom. And I'm now pulling up chatable right on there. So you can see, oh, that's how you do it. And you can apply this for any given one of these apps. I've always said, like, I think that there's a huge opportunity to talk about podcasts, you know, like, think of it as a content machine that they're wearing in their ear. You know, they might get a lot of value. Like as you get to know your patients and you see, oh, okay, I, this person likes to garden and this person likes cooking, take the extra step and actually identify podcasts for them. Be like, here are the top five podcasts for cooking, for 
the NHL for this thing so that you can like be like, here, this might even get you started. You want me to download this one so you can try it out. I mean, chances are they maybe have already listened to a podcast before. Maybe they haven't. Maybe this is the first time they're introduced to it. So again, all of this kind of comes back to the same thing, which is you're providing a superior experience. And I know that like people might be listening and being like, I'm an audiologist. I didn't go to school so that I could be a podcast recommender. And that's not really the point. You know, it's like, you're obviously going to be providing them with a a huge suite of audiologically sound best practices and recommendations and all that. But I'm saying you're given the opportunity to have a conversation with them to maybe give them something that they really, really enjoy. And the way they're going to walk away from that is they're going to perceive you as somebody that improved their overall quality of life. And that's where I find this to all be like really, really interesting of what's happening by and large is, again, there's a lot of complexity that's starting to be um, you know, in, in infused into the market more or less. And so I think that like now it's a matter of how can you start to distill that down for your people and then appropriately match them on a patient by patient basis so that you are the master of like, here's everything that relates to the ear, not just from an audiological standpoint, but from like a tech standpoint too, and be like, here's everything that's available to you so that again, in a world of competition, that's going to be, I think, one of the easiest areas to differentiate is like that extra mile of here's all the different kinds of apps that exist. Here's like, you know, these just assistive listening devices that are not your grandma's assistive listening devices, like total (laughs) game changers. So that's kind of the way I see this thing going is that professionals are going to give, be be given a, a huge opportunity here to, I think, just become the true domain experts if they really want to kind of succeed, I think into the coming years, it's just going to be, I think a big matter of like, can you differentiate on the basis of your expertise efficiently? Wow. Yeah. I love that breakdown. I think those are some really concrete examples that people can take to heart. And I do, I find that that is one of those differentiators is it's cause I mean, we talk about considering the whole patient, but also like who they are as a person, taking that in, into consideration, building up good relationships and rapport with them, that all all of those factor into some of the things that you said. I think those are really great concrete examples for people. Other than Chattable, are there any apps that jump out at you as things that people should always have on hand or should be recommending? I'm, I've seen in the last month um, more and more tinnitus type therapy apps. Uh, the ones I know off the top of my head is like Odo, the Odo app, Tinabot, audio cardio. So again, like I've become familiar with these all in about a month. So again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, which is like, I kind of think we're at the beginning phase of this where you're going to see a lot of shoddy things be introduced online, you know, a lot of apps that aren't great. But I think that where we're at is that we're seeing a lot of really well thought out apps too. And so I would say those Um, like I said, chattable, I'm always a big fan of Sonic cloud. That was one of the first ones that I ever came across really cool company, what they're trying to do. There was a company called Tunity at one time, which was pretty brilliant. You could scan scan any live TV and it would start to allow you to play the audio for it. So man, I just can't under or overstate this enough. I just feel like we are at the beginning phase of an explosion of apps And I think that in the same way that like 
professionals today have to deal with like, here's what's bad and here's what's good. That's going to probably be even more so with apps. And so I think that the professionals will have like a huge incentive on themselves to, to kind of be that liaison of like, here's what's actually really good. And like, I think that you could build a whole YouTube channel around that. You could build a, you know, a full Instagram presence, TikTok, whatever your, your fancy is. Um, These channels are just going to become more and more popular. I think as educational channels that professionals can, can really leverage. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for giving those examples. And I, and I think it ties right back into what you're saying about that personal branding, about being the expert, because yeah, you're right. This is going to be a whole new world of things (laughs) for us to tap into that patients are going to have questions about. And we need to be the expert. We need to be prepared for it. We're kind of coming up close to the end of our time here. We've got a few more minutes, though. I wanted to talk a little bit about Bluetooth LE, low energy Bluetooth, and kind of like if you wanted to give us like a really brief breakdown of Bluetooth LE and how you see it kind of affecting hearing aids in the future. Sure. A few things. First of all, hearing aids have actually been using Bluetooth LE audio for a while. This is the Bluetooth, this is the hearing aid Bluetooth protocol that's now going to be made into the overall Bluetooth protocol. And What's really exciting is you're going to get a lot of infrastructure that's put into place, a lot of beacons, those kinds of things. So the most obvious is broadcast mode is going to be huge. You know, telecoils have always been a great technology, but they've been limited by the fact that they're cumbersome to install. And so what you're probably going to see in, I would say the first iteration, the first things that become really visible are you're going to see places that are like public domains that are Bluetooth LE audio enabled so that you'll be able to broadcast into whatever source of audio it is. Concert venues, movie theaters, parks, museums, those will be the things that will, churches, those will all be Bluetooth LE audio enabled initially. And then as it gets built out, you'll probably just see it everywhere. You'll see the Bluetooth LE audio Because what's going to happen in addition to that is you're going to have a lot of really clever applications built on top of that whole feature set. You know, this idea of, again, what's changed in the last few years? Everybody's walking around with AirPods and things that look like AirPods. And so you're going to have a lot of, of the infrastructure kind of built around that notion of like this idea of like when people are all wearing things in their ears, what are going to be the use cases that stem from that? And I actually was fortunate to interview Nick Hun. He is the analyst who actually coined the term uh, hearables, but he is a he is a chairman of the Bluetooth special interest group. So this is kind of like his thing, like Bluetooth LE audio. And so he that that was a lot of what I just said there was kind of based on what I had heard from him. And so I think that from an accessibility standpoint, that's going to be a huge thing is like think telecoils and teleloops and then just multiply it times a thousand. It's going to be just so much more pervasive. And so you'll you'll have the ability to like everywhere will have like great audio that you can just loop into through your Bluetooth hearing aids. So that will be, I think, a really big one. The other one that I'm like, I'm calling my shot now that I think is going to be really fun to watch is the ability to share audio. I think that the kids, if you will, are going to absolutely run wild with that. I think it's going to just like, it's going to be like this new thing. I'm just feeling it already. I think I (laughs) don't know what's going to come from it. It's kind of like the same thing where like nobody could have really called TikTok, but you put all the pieces there. Like, okay, first off, you have to give everybody a phone. And then like you create these video creator tools that are so easy that like they reduce the barrier of creation so much. 
I think that what we're going to see with this is it's not going to be like apples to apples to that, but you're going to have like this, this infrastructure that's going to be built out at scale that's going to enable an entirely new type of app that we've never really seen before. And I think a lot of it is going to be around this idea of in proximity, sharing audio with one another. And again, like, what does this all mean as it relates to hearing health? It's just another, like the biggest thing that I try to kind of communicate to people is like hearing aids are no longer their own little independent thing anymore. They are a subset of a much, much bigger market now. They are a subset of the hearables market, really, if you want to kind of like probably properly categorize it. And so you're going, the benefit of that is you're going to be this like secondary beneficiary of all of these new functions and apps that are built. Like Clubhouse is a perfect example of that. Clubhouse probably doesn't even get built unless you have hundreds of millions of pairs of AirPods and the like that are out there. And then like if you wear Bluetooth connected hearing aids, you could quite literally be in, you know, a fly on the wall in a Clubhouse room at any given point. And and again like that's just because the consumer side incentivized that app to be built in the first place. So expect a lot more of that when you have the scale from the consumer side that we get to partake in, like being this medical device in this industry that yeah. you know fits and sells these med- medical devices that have access to all of the consumer functionality and the consumer, the scale basically. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that. I love the where Bluetooth LE audio is going. I know I have so many patients who are going to benefit from that and just the quality of the digital signal compared to sometimes what yes. you get from the telecoil. It's just a huge step in the right direction. And I just see as you know, we have a generation who's grown up with these audio-based streaming options whether it's Spotify or Clubhouse. I just see them really taking taking well to having to wear hearing aids in that kind of context. So that's, that's great insight. I love your, your futuristic, you know, you just have an eye. I, I'm excited to hear, you know, whatever that app is. I don't know if you're, you know, if that's a hint of that you're developing something or you just feel like you have an ear to the ground, but I'll be on the lookout for whatever that becomes. Yeah, no, I, uh, we'll see. We'll see how this all, I mean, you know, it's been a, it's been a really interesting few years since I, I started the blog and the podcast. Um, Again, going off of the the last episode that you had with Lindsay, you know, to anybody that's listening, the biggest byproduct and like the greatest thing about starting a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, you name it, like starting to do professional brand building, it opens more doors than you can ever imagine. I've had more just awesome conversations with really interesting, smart people that I never would have had, had I not started to kind of like put myself out there. And it is a little bit scary initially, but like, that's how I got connected to you. That's how I'm on this podcast today is you got to put yourself out there a little bit because it's going to lead to like just some pretty awesome things. And for me on the tech side, I've been really privy to like, here's kind of what's coming around the corner. And I've been fortunate to see some of the things that I know are kind of coming and who boy, we are in for some really, really cool stuff. I'm not even saying that like hyper hyperbole, like <laughs> it really is going to be cool. People are, I think are from what I've seen of what what's coming, just like the few things that I have been able to see that are going to be entering the market here very soon. Really, really cool stuff. 
Awesome. Where can people find you if they want to keep up with your adventures? I know you've got Future Ear and Future Ear Radio, <laughs> but you know, are you on Instagram? Where where can people find you? So I, like I said, I'm 31. Maybe that's why I I think all of our ages sort of help to dictate where we spend our time. For whatever reason, Twitter became my home on the internet. That's like my my home, my digital home. Uh, so I'm at Oaktree underscore Dave. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Dave Kemp, the blog, the podcast, that's where I'm primarily at these days. Perfect. Well, I'm sure we're going to have some people tuning into Future Ear Radio. I'm so excited to hear you know, what's coming out of there next. Yeah. And thanks so much for joining me. This has just been such a cool, exciting conversation. This is really just like optimistic, really inspiring. <laughs> I'm so pumped about it. Thanks, Dakota. I really appreciate the chance to come on here and share some of this stuff because I'm passionate about it too. And I, I, I say it all the time, but like there can be some down and out and pessimistic thoughts that permeate within this industry. But like from my vantage and the way I see things, and I am an optimist, but I think the professionals, like hearing professionals, particularly those that are willing to like really kind of take the bull by the horns here and, and really try to like do something. I, I I'm so optimistic about them. I think they're in such a good position. That's just going to get better as time goes on. So that's my two cents. Definitely. <laughs> Thanks, man. I just appreciate that that perspective a lot. I, I think it's going to hopefully get a lot of people on board with it too. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Dakota. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.